reason is, is because we have a group of folks, very special people within our community and in our population who, um, who want to make an impact in spite of uh, the fact that they are all uh, learning disabled. And many of them will never be able to achieve a lot of the things that you might be able to achieve. And I'm speaking for most, you know, most of us in this room, uh, whether it's a career or your education or do some of the things that you'd like to do in life. They will never be able to know that. But in spite of that, and they recognize some of their limitations, they said, we want to make an impact in our generation being who we are. We don't want to be just ministered to, but we want to give. We want to minister. I love that. I think that's so beautiful. So Russ Mitchell and some friends have uh, put together, and they do this professionally, and we're going to extend that into the ministry of our church. It's, it's a class. It's a connection class uh, that will begin meeting in February, um, it, just in a couple of weeks, uh, here at Calvary called Impact. And if you would be interested in working with that class, these are all um, a, a, mostly adults, I think, all adults. Uh, and if you know of anyone in the community who has an adult child with a learning disability and they can't seem to find a niche, can't seem to find a church that would embrace that ministry, because we want, we were starting as a class, but then we want to do more than that. We want to go beyond that and uh, specifically with giving them the opportunity to serve and to be uh, involved in ministry in some way. So I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. I think it's going to be a cool thing. We've already got about 15 students uh, ready to go. Uh, th- th- I think that kind of hints at how needed this is uh, for Knoxville. You know, when I put together a message, some things come easy and some things come not so easy. And believe it or not, one of the hardest parts for me uh, when, when kind of crafting that and doing that, is what to call it. You know, just the name. I'm all about, I'm a little artsy, so the graphics, the, uh, the titles of things, I struggle with that, and everybody kind of kids me because I go all over the place and, and, you know, land somewhere, and I'm never 100% happy with it. And, you know, even with this series, even with today's message, I could not figure out how to make a message which is going to say this, basically... The big deal, the big thing about being a follower of Jesus, it's not exactly, although it has a lot to do with what we believe, it's more with what we do in the fact that we love him, and we love each other, and we love other people. That's it. I thought, well, how do you wrap that up without it sounding like a cliche, without it sounding like, oh, it's the love message, you know, and, I, and so my fallback position Whenever I can't think of a good title, and I look at other people's titles, is I look at book titles, I look at song titles, because there's so many, and I begin to get ideas, and I can steal something and alter it or change it up, you know, whatever, and get one. Well, this one, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to call this, I stole this from the Beatles, okay? Creative bunch of guys. Um, they had a song, uh, you may have never heard of this, if you want to throw that up there for me, it's... Uh, all you need is love, sweet love. I thought, that sounds pretty good. And that's really, at the end of the day, that's what it is. So I took this from the Beatles, All You Need Is Love. And I had some other songs that were in the running. Okay, some that almost made it as titles that I may pull out another day. For instance, I thought about um, Love Is, Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, so I thought, that's a pretty cool title. Here's an, uh, what about this? Um, love me tender. 
I thought that would be. But then I thought, well, it's not exactly tender. So then I, uh, hey, how about um, some kind of love? You know, for the uh, the Van Martin generation, I thought that they may relate to that and be able to, to touch on that. Or how about can't live without your love? Kevin was really big on that one. That's one of his favorite bands of all time, Chicago. Uh, I don't think they ever actually toured with Truth, but um, but a great band. I remember my grandparents taking me to see them when I was just a little... Okay. Um, It's the next song, uh, Where is the Love? Uh, This is the one Daniel wanted me to do, and uh, I thought, well, that's a pretty good title, too. I don't know. Where is the... Okay. And then um, I thought about uh, my personal favorite... uh, Lady Gaga, Joe has always had a crush on her ever since she came out, brought a lot of attention into his family, but um, love games, I thought that really doesn't communicate with that. Uh, another idea uh, I had, because I'm, I'm an old-time Ray Charles fan, Can't Stop Loving You. Wouldn't that be good? I thought, that's a great title, and I honestly almost went with that, Can't Stop Loving You. As we as believers, we can't stop loving you, okay? Um, I went with that. Then I thought, okay, reach way back into a time that I don't remember so well for a lot of reasons. Um, Jim Morrison, a really unusual guy. Uh, don't you love her madly? Yeah, and then I thought, now you're going to sing that for the rest of the day. That's going to be kind of stuck in your head. Um, Rune 5, Dislove. Dislove. That would be a good title. Dislove, okay. Um, and thought, I've got to throw this in because everybody in my family except for, well, most people in my family really like Dave Matthews, and I love him my life. That would be pretty good. I thought about uh, another one. This one, uh, and this is Kathy's choice. She really, um, finally lay this way, she is a huge Michael Jackson fan and can actually, she, in fact, she wanted to know if it was okay if she came up today and just moonwalked for you to show you how much. So if... No, I didn't think so. Um, but I thought that if I don't love you this way, if I don't love you this way, that's a great title. Now, you're all from different generations. I look around this room and I see a lot of people, and you remember prom, you remember uh, whatever that song was that was your song. What are some of the other love songs that I could have used? You got a favorite one that kind of pops into your head? It's a real unromantic bunch, you know? No songs with no songs with the t- with the love in the title. I need your love. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you believe? I think he was just declaring that it wasn't the song title. I believe in a thing called love. <laughs> There's no band. I just believe it. I do. God bless you, brother. You you don't give that up. And the right one's going to come along for you, too. Uh, yes. Anybody else? Love Roller Coaster? That's you and Lisa's song, isn't it? Isn't that, I think you told me once. That's the moment you fell in love. Uh, yeah. Can you see Alan out on the disco floor with the, whole, with the thing? I can just, I, I got that. I've got that. Okay. Anybody else? You got a song that... Uh... 
I'll be loving you always. Was that one of the... We've actually danced together. She's a... Yeah. We shall again. Any other songs that you know of that you... I know you're starting to think of them now, right? Can't Stop Loving You. That was um, one of my, like, I grew up, my dad loved that kind of music. That, that's um, pretty close to my heart, Helen. Anybody else? Got a song? Do you have a song? Do you have a love song, those of you who are in relationships? They're usually not songs you would pick out because they're so good. They just kind of come to you, and then later you're embarrassed to say, yeah, this is our song. Ours is, your mama don't dance and your daddy don't rock and roll. And it's, um, <laughs> oh, I get all misty. Uh, there are a lot of songs that express love. In fact, I would say, what would you say, 70, 80% of the songs we sing are about love in, in one way or the other. That's just like the thing our culture uh, going all the way back, uh, you know, forever and ever, we think and talk and, and, and are consumed with this desire to love and to be loved. One of my children came in a couple of Saturdays ago and asked, he said, I've just discovered, have you guys ever heard of Paul Simon? <laughs> I said, no. I said, are you kidding? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think so. Um, he said, well, this was so interesting. He said, I knew a lot of his songs, but I didn't know who did them. I didn't know it was just this one guy who did all these songs. You know, that's how the book of 1 John is. Most people might not think of it as one of the most popular books or tell people, oh yeah, you got to get into 1 John, that's really good. It's not like Psalms or Philippians or Romans, you know, but it's got a number of well-known verses. In fact, if there were a greatest hits package you know, like a love songs or verses for the Bible, First John would be very well represented, especially chapter 4. Check it out. In, in, cha- in this chapter of John, John writes some verses that if you grew up in church, if you grew up around in a Christian environment, you've probably heard these all your life. Many of these phrases are used in poetry and literature and other people, even people who... Um, don't have a Bible, and you know, they'll say part of one of these and not even know. They'll think it's Shakespeare. They, don't, they have no idea where they got it. For instance, like verse 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Verse 12, no man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. Verse 15, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Verse 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. Verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. And what a great chapter. I mean, it's just chocked full of, of, you know. In fact, if you're into scripture memory, um, this would be a really good chapter to memorize. 
I mean, you, you probably already know half of it. It's just kind of putting it together, and the rest would be easy to learn. This chapter is foundational to understanding what it means to really live Christian life, to live the Christian life. Let's just talk about it. This chapter defines the standard that God expects us to live by. So there's some things about it that I want you to notice. One is this. God sets the standard for what love is. Verse 10 says this. This is love. And here's your definition. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. You see, real love is it's not defined by what a human does. But what God has already done. When King Edward uh, abdicated his throne to Mary Wallace Simpson, that was this great example of human love, of romantic love. When Elizabeth Elliot went to the jungles of Ecuador to preach the gospel to a tribe that had murdered her husband Jim on the beach. That was a great example. That's been a testimony of Christian love to me uh, my whole life. But these things don't set the standard of love. They reflect it. God sets the standard. You see, it's through him that we know really what love is. That's because he revealed it to us. Verse 9 says, this is how God showed his love among us. This is how it happened. God is the standard for love, and this is how we know that. This is how it played out. He told us that he loved us, and then he showed us that he loved us. That's an important characteristic of love, and you can't overlook that. Sometimes we say, you know, and I've said this, well, I'm really good at, I love people. I love people. I'm just not good at showing it. You know, I'm just not good at saying that. Well, guess what? You need to get good at it. Your words have to be congruent with your actions. It needs to be in sync. You need to learn to tell people with words that you love them. You need to show people with actions that you love them. I've got a friend who's very unemotional, very um, uh, almost analytical. You know, he's just not real you know, touchy-feely kind of guy, but uh, we communicate sometimes by writing back and forth. And he began at some point in our relationship to end his email or his letter to me with, hey, I love you. And he th- I know you think, well, that's kind of, yeah, how about that? You know? And I know, I know, it kind of it makes you feel that way. Or just to write love on that. And, and I thought it was this expression of love that he's come to this place in his life. And sometimes I think, God, I'm not so freed up in that area, and I want to be. Now, I don't want to sound whiny about this, but this was an issue, you know, my dad had, um, I remember two times in my entire life that he ever said the words, I love you. Guys, don't let that be your testimony to your children. Don't let somebody like me stand in front of their family one day or in front of a group and just say, you know what, I never heard my dad say, never heard my mother say that. Or is there some of you guys, you're still living at home and you're going to be out, you know, and then things change and life starts moving so fast. Don't miss this opportunity to tell your parents, hey, mom, I love you. Hey, dad, I just called to tell you that I love you. 
do that. Put words to it. Express that. Don't let it just be something that, ah, I think they know it. You know, like the guy who told his, you know, his wife, said, you never say I love you. And he said, well, I told you 40 years ago when we got married. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. You know, that's, <laughs> that's not good enough. That's kind of not what it's about. Got to tell it, and we have to show it. And that's what God did. That's what God did. And you, sh- you show that. In God, we see that real love has an element of sacrifice to it. Verse 9 and 10 say this. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God didn't just say, hey, I'm up here in heaven loving you guys. Good luck with your life. Hope, hope it's cool. Hope everything's going well. Just want you to know I really love you. Look, I got something going on with the angels. I'll I'll come check on you. No, he didn't do that. He wasn't absent. He wasn't distant. He was very, very personally involved in expressing his love to us. And with God, we see that real love is this sacrifice. God's love cost him something. In fact, it cost him everything. And he not only did that willingly, he initiated that because he saw the solution. He gave his son. And his son gave up his own life so that we could be, we could experience forgiveness of sins. So that we could inherit eternal life. It's the only way it could be done. The only way it could happen. And as Jesus faced death on the cross, he prayed. You know, in Matthew 26, 39, he said, Oh, Father, if it's possible, if there's some other way, if there's something we hadn't thought of or another plan that we could have put into place but we haven't, may this cup be taken from me. Can we, can we do something else? But it wasn't possible. He knew that. The Father knew that. This is the way that it had to be. Now, if you're like me, uh, particularly early on in my experience when I was checking out Christianity and thinking to myself, I really believe Jesus is who he said he was. I, th- I kind of think this is real, but I don't know why w- would God do that. Why, if God is God, why didn't he just say, okay, special deal today, everybody's forgiven. Everything's okay. I'm just going to kind of erase all of that. Why was there this necessity of the death of Jesus? It's because of God's nature. It's because of the essence of who he is. He has to be consistent with himself. It wouldn't be just. God is holy, and sin had to be dealt with. He's righteous, but he's also merciful. He is just, but he is compassionate. And therefore, something had to be done. Sin had to be dealt with according to his generous nature and his, and his, and his kindness, his lovingness. We couldn't save ourselves. So God gave his son to save us. He paid the debt. He redeemed us. Because real love sacrifices for the one who's loved. You absorb that. And you come to times and places in your life where you realize how much you've been loved by other people that you didn't know at the time. You know, you look back on your childhood and you think, oh, 
Mom worked that second job because of me. Oh, Dad did overtime. Oh, he came in late because he was trying to take care of us. That was an expression of his love. And at the time, you don't know that. You don't realize. And I think for many of us, maybe we don't really get just how huge this is, that God has loved us, and he sacrificed in order to do that. That makes all of our efforts seem kind of insignificant. You know, it seems kind of small. When you think, well, I love you, so... You don't have to pay me back the money, or I love you, so I will come over here, or I, you know, I love you. No, real love sacrifices for the one who's loved. And God sets the standard for love because he loves not just the lovely, he loves the unlovely. Now, when it comes time for you to choose a partner, a spouse, a mate, you know, undoubtedly, you're going to choose somebody with a lot of good characters. If, if I were to just kind of like stop right now and say, okay, what, what is it that you're looking for in somebody, um, you know, that you would like to marry? What are some of the things that kind of come to your mind? You'd like somebody who's wealthy and good looking. Okay, let's just move those out of the way. Now, after that, what are some of the things you'd look for? Caring. Caring. Trustworthy. Merciful, money, funny, <laughs> money, can we go back to, yeah, funny with money, my honey, I call him bunny, okay, what are some of the qualities that you see, this is where you get to step up, that you see in your mate that was attractive to you, and so you married them, and now you still see that. And here's a chance to earn some points. Don't blow this. What? She's 80% of everything I ever wanted in a woman. That's a whole other story I'm going to tell on you at another time. Actually, we were eating lunch one day, and my daughter said, you know, she's, we were talking about relationships, and she's looking for the perfect guy. So Scott, who's Scott Egan, retired Army, who is somewhat of an expert in the, the world of love, um, <laughs> said, you know, you don't need to aim for perfection. As long as you can find somebody with 80% of everything you want, you're doing pretty good. That's marital bliss. The whole table got quiet. I'm looking at him like, bail. His wife's looking at it. So finally she says, so I'm 80% of all your dreams. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Some people, I don't know, you know. So that's, that's, a, that's a character trait. What, what are some of the things you think of? I mean, you think of those kind of attributes, right? What do you think of it was about us when God looked at us and said, I've decided to love these people and to redeem them? Well, it wasn't because we're trustworthy, because we're 80% of his dreams, because we're beautiful, because we're funny, because no, none of those things. I mean, imagine this. God chose to love not only the best, but he chose to love the worst. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There was a moment in my life when I was at one of the lowest places and not a very attractive 
place or person that I had become and a lot of things in my life and priorities and behaviors. And, and later, I realized that at that moment, at my very worst, it's when God loved me the most. And that's when Jesus died for me. God loves us. He loves the, un, you know, and we don't look for, you know, I say, okay, you're kind of interested in forming a relationship? All right, well, here's some things to write down to look for. Find somebody who's unfaithful, somebody dishonest, manipulative, kind of keep that spice going in the relationship. Cruelty is good. You'll like that. You won't get bored. Selfishness is always something you want uh, in a mate, somebody's uncaring. No, you didn't look for those things. You married, or you want to marry, the absolute best person you can find. Isn't it amazing? That's not how Christ chose his bride. We were so broken and so unattractive and so wounded and so dysfunctional, but he chose to love us. Not just those who are good and those who are worthy. Sometimes the most unlovable. God sets the standard for what love is. And then, love sets the standard for what the Christian life is. The Christian life is, first and foremost, it's about love. I can't hammer that home, I think, enough. Don't let anybody ever tell you that, well, being a Christian is about holding a particular political view. It's about being against certain social issues, or it's really about adhering to a particular uh, doctrinal statement. It's about being really organized or efficient or self-disciplined, and, you know, all those things are good, and there's some truth in that, and they all have their place, but their place is significantly way behind what God has said is the very first place thing in the Christian experience, and that's love. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. If you, and you can just begin to fill in the blanks. If you like this version of the Bible, if you do this, if you dress like this, if you act like this, if you talk like this. No, he said, no, 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 no. If you just love each other. He said, if you just love one another, that's how they're going to know. We learn from 1 John that love is the evidence of God's presence in your life, that love is the evidence. Verse 7 says, Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And then John just draws this line between the kind of the us and, and the, the thems. It's, you know, you, you want to know the difference? Verse 8, Whoever does not love does not know God. You can almost read in parentheses, you know, as a footnote, I don't care how many times you've been to Sunday school. I don't care how many awards you've gotten. I don't care how many places you've volunteered. I don't know how many times you've been to church and what denomination you are and all of that. Because you can just stack that all up. But if you don't love, it's not about religion. It's not about how religious you can get. John's not trying to make his readers doubt their salvation. He's trying to make a point. He said, I want you to, it's clear, I want you to know you're, you're saved, but I'm trying to help you to evaluate this message that you hear and the actions that you observe from other people. He goes on to say, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. 
John's so delicate, you know, he's so uh, diplomatic, so political. You know, I think you're a liar. John is saying, don't listen to those who claim to love God, but they don't show any love to anybody else around them. I don't care all the other stuff about them. That's the litmus test. It says, if you've been born of God, you have, at the very least, this kernel of love, this seed of love in your heart. Remember back in John 3, the Bible says God's seed is in you. And, and just like you let a seed of righteousness grow up in you and your behavior changes and, you know, you don't do the things you used to do, you don't go the places and all that, and that kind of that makes sense. The seed of God's love needs to grow as well. You need to be a different person in the way that you love people than you used to be. It ought to be evident. People ought to be amazed by that about you. John said in verse 12, if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. He's saying that the more deeply you love, the more deeply you live in him. And some of you think, you know, man, I'm trying to figure out how to get spiritual. I want to know God. What's the secret? What's the key? How do I know God's will? Where is this this kind of elusive? What what are the things I need to figure out? And most of us, you know what our go-to behavior is? Learn more stuff. You know, go deeper into the commentaries. Figure this out. Go, you know, just keep learning. Take another class. And there's good things about that. I mean, I've been studying that my whole life. I believe that. But you know what? That's not going to do it. I've known a lot of very religious, a lot of brilliant people when it comes to scriptural information didn't have a lot of fruit in their life because it's all about the love. It's about the love. The message says it is kind of like this. The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. So the next question is, you know, I mean, because most of us think that the Christian life is, is just kind of comes down to and consists consistently of just believing certain facts to be true. I believe this, I believe this, I believe this. And I love the way James comes back to that. He says, you know what, that's really good. But the demons believe all that. <laughs> and they're not Christian. They believe that. They know those things are true. No, there's this relational component to the gospel that's this essential, non-negotiable, beautiful part of our relationship that makes us different. The way we stand out, what sets us apart, is that we are in a relationship built on love, not just facts, not just information. Believing and knowing and understanding the facts of the gospel are absolutely important, but nothing replaces love. So the next question for me would be, okay, then... How? How do I do that? How do I, how do I love others? Well, in the previous chapter, John kind of gave us this guideline. In verse 18, he said, My dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice what real love is. Let's love with actions and in truth. Check this out. It's, so, so, it's almost elementary, but somehow we, we skim past it and we miss this. Love is expressed in what you do. Nobody's going to know that you love. You know, if you just watch news about Haiti on CNN and Fox and the other and you just think, "Eh, I just love those people and I just love, and you get up, turn off the television and go to bed. And someone the next day may say, do you love those people? Yeah, I really love them. What have you done to show that love? 
You see, that's, that's the issue. You love people by helping them. I know we live in a time when hating your enemies has never been more fashionable. In the political realm, it's just absolutely crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's generally considered acceptable to refer to a candidate. And I heard this is like a quote, evil in every sense of the word. And I thought, no, that's taking it a little, you know. You know the idea is not just to challenge a candidate's policies and their, their, their opinions. The idea now seems to be to assassinate that person's character. And the motivation and... You know, I'm very strongly opinionated. Those of you who know me personally, you know I have some very specific ideas uh, about this and very interested in that. Um, but that motivation, I have to stop and check it out because I think, no, you know what? That's nothing short of hatred. I was watching someone uh, in an open place watch a former president on television, and they, they clenched their fists and said, I hate him. You know, in the religious realm, in certain circles, it's become acceptable to ridicule and to lampoon people who you don't feel like are, you know, maybe they're less sophisticated in their faith than, than ours. And in many places, it's considered okay to look at other expressions of faith with this kind of a sneer, just kind of con- condescension. You know, I, a while back, I heard a man in, in our town he was referring to another church. He was talking about that church. And just real easily, these words slipped out of his mouth. He goes, oh, they're one of those seeker-sensitive atrocities that you see out there. I thought, wow. And this is a congregation I know in our town that you know, they're God's precious people. And they're a congregation that's honestly seeking to do the right thing. But then I've heard like seeker-sensitive church pastors put down denominational churches. Uh, they're so old school and they just don't get it. Then I've heard denominational leaders put down, you know, Pentecostal churches because, oh, well, man, they're over here. And, and then everybody makes fun of Baptists, right? We, we're kind of at the end of the line uh, whenever that, that happens. You know, I just think, enough. Stop it. We've been hearing this since we were kids in Sunday school. It's still true. Folks, we're supposed to love each other. I had someone come by this week, not just from another denomination, but from a whole different set of belief systems, you know, as a congregation. And they're trying to get me to buy into and accept them into mainstream Christianity. And, I, and I'm just not there. I can't do that. It's a line I can't cross. Some of the beliefs are just so separated from the gospel and the simplicity of the Bible. I can't do that. And there was a part of me, there was an old Dan in me that wanted to debate you know, I was captain of my debate team, and I, immediately I wanted to say, hey, how about this, blah, 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 and how about this scripture, and how about this verse, and where do you guys get that, you know? And, but the Holy Spirit just seemed to say, you know what, you're not going to stand here in the hall, and you're between appointments, and you're trying to get somewhere. You're not going to start an argument and win this thing. You need to be gracious and accepting, and there will come a time, there will come another opportunity for you to speak sanely truth and value into that person's life. And I thought, God, that's the direction I want to go with. I don't want them to walk back out of my place and go, you know what? Those Baptists are just like we thought they were. They're judgmental and they're mean and uh, they think they got it all together and they know everything. And I thought, well, that's exactly how I was going to come across. I still think I'm right. (laughs) 
I thought, you know what, they maybe would remember something a little differently if, if I showed love. So it, it means at the best, we've got to look for opportunities to do good for people. We, gotta, we, you know, we can disagree with people theologically and politically. You can debate with them without humiliating them. You can do good for those people, you know, because God sets the standard for what love is. And love sets the standard for what the Christian life is. Now, there's just, just one other thing that we're going to hook on to that, and that's this then we set the standard for what the world will see. Christians don't always have a great reputation these days, right? I mean, you feel that, you sense that. And sometimes it's because our message is misunderstood. Sometimes it's because it isn't misunderstood. It's what we put out there. And I've found that there are times when I can tell people, you know, they, you know, you get on a plane or you get on a bus or something, and somebody says, oh, what, what, are, you know, what, what are you about? What do you do? And at some point in that conversation to maintain your integrity, you feel like you need to tell them, well, I'm a Christian. But you know how it's going to sound, right, when you say, I'm a Christian. And they go, okay. And they have a stereotype in their mind. Or Christian means American. <laughs> you know, it just means like everybody's Christian who lives here. And, and there's just all these definitions. And, and, and you almost want to stop and say, I'm a Christian. Now, what do you think I meant when I said that to you? And that, you know, if they were to say that back, you'd, you would be able to, no, no, no. So Sometimes, you know what? I just say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Because I find that people, when I say Christian, sometimes they do like this. Okay, I know about you guys. I've seen you on television with your big pink hair, and you, you know, and you shout a lot, and the number comes up on the screen, and you want my money, and you know, people feel manipulated. They just, and I hate that that's happened. That we're misunderstood, and I think it's an attack of the enemy. But I think, well, you know what? I can whine about that, or I can kind of turn that around. So I find that when I say I'm a follower of Jesus, sometimes people lean in. Well, what is that? Well, tell me about that. And then I share my testimony. You know, Billy Graham used to preach against communism, and that's a good thing. But he said he came to this place where he realized that his calling was much more important and that his message was bigger that he needed to emphasize. He had a message that transcended political ideologies, and he, and he spoke to the deepest needs of humans everywhere. And he got into places that nobody else could get into because they knew he was just going to preach the gospel. And there are times I would wish, say this, say that, don't go saw, you know. And he just stayed focused. He just stayed focused. Sometimes we are known for, you know, what we're against more than for who we really are. So let's direct our message. When we leave here in just a couple of minutes, when we leave, and you're going to go to Super Bowl parties, tomorrow you're going to go to work, you're going to go to class, what is it that's going to define us? We have a message that's important. Now, I'm dating myself, but I can remember when I first began coming into church, coming visiting churches and checking it out, I heard these sermons against, and this is really going to tell, bell bottoms, okay, shaggy hair, that rock and roll music, you know, I mean, all of those things, and I would just sit there feeling like everybody in the room's looking at me, and this, and this message, you know, just, and this guy, I remember him just pounding, literally, you know, and going off, and I thought, he's just, he's just gonna preach on youth culture, and that defined him, and that defined that church, he was just mad. Every week I would show up and just watch him work himself up, you know. He would just get mad all over again because people were wearing bell bottoms. Dude. Now, 
there's some that believe we are at war at culture. Um, but it's the same that we're saying, you know, we're at war with the world. We are at war. But listen to this. This is what Ephesians 6.12 says. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Folks, we're not at war with people. Just like God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. There was a time when I was the enemy of God, and yet at that moment Christ died for me. You see, our attitude toward people should be the same as his. We need to get aggressive about showing the world, we love you, in spite of the fact that we feel very differently than you do. There is a God who loves you too. Now, I'm against a lot of things, okay? I hope this is, this, you're not taking this like, well, Dan's just kind of one of those, hey, cuckoo, you know. Um, now, I'm against certain TV shows, there's movies, certain kinds of music that just drive me, you know, political ideas, economic theories, sociological, you know, constructions, there, there are behavior patterns, theological position, doctrinal views, religious rituals. Uh, I'm against a lot of things. And I could just do my next series on that. Things I'm again. And I could just roll my sleeve. And then every week I could say, and now this week, here's the next one. And this is directed at you. <laughs> you know, and you just say, oh, I can't wait to get to church. I can't wait to bring my friends to church. You know, you know I'm not going to back off that I'm against those things. But I think that's not what I want to be defined by. That doesn't define me, and it's not what I want to define this church. Too many people think that taking a stand means i got to be against something. No, you know what? I know it sounds cheesy, but I want to take a stand for Jesus. I want to take a stand for loving other people. And in order for our fellowship to make a difference in our culture, we've got to love the world just like God so loved the world. The Italian word for influence is influenza. And I guess that's the sickness, you know, that we call the flu. Maybe it was named influenza because it's so contagious. We need to be contagious in our culture. And we do it by loving others. And getting creative with how you do that. Maybe we need to spend Now, this is going to sound radical, but maybe just a little less time telling the world what it needs to think and a little more time showing them what love looks like. And then they'll listen to what we think. The world's idea of love is, yeah, I'm going to love you as long as it's easy, convenient, as long as there's some benefit for me, as long as, you know, yeah, I'm going to stay with you, I'm going to be here, I'm going to come back, I'm going to do all this, as long as everything works out. God's idea is of love is, you know what? I'm going to love you because I'm love. I am love. And I can't do anything else. You're precious to me. You're valuable to me. But I'm just going to love you because I can't do anything but that. Imagine the difference we could make if the world perceived that that was our real message. Let me ask you one other thing. If people around you Not just you, you know, but the people around you had to sum up your life, your personality, your actions, your attitude. 
would it be a love song? Would one of those songs come to their mind? One of the songs that you shouted out go, yeah, that's what they're all about. What title would they say fits you? What title would your kids say, oh, this is a song that just, it just wraps up my mom? <laughs> oh, this is a song that's all about my dad. Your roommates, they'd say, oh, if you're going to write a song about him, this would be, you know, your classmates, your coworkers, your neighbors, even the acquaintances in your life, the, the strangers. What song title would just best fit under your life? Does your Christianity, does your faith express itself in spiritual pride, just religious behaviors, a different code talk, or is it defined by your words and acts of love? Let's pray. Would you stand with me, please, as we kind of wrap up right here? Um, I'm going to ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to use his word today and maybe this message to uh, speak in your heart and to let you deal honestly with this issue. What is it that defines your life and your faith? Is it love? If you love him, are you loving the people around you? Father, today I pray that many of us in this room would commit to live this week in a different way than we lived last week. That we would love in ways that sometimes are subtle, sometimes, many times, unseen, unnoticed, except by you. In other ways, outrageous displays of generosity, and caring, and sacrifice. Father, would you get us back on the right path? Would you reestablish our generation's expression of who you are to the world by our love. Give us the creativity and the grace, the thoughtfulness to know how to do that in very practical, specific, tangible ways beginning this moment forward. Father, we want to love because you first loved us. And I pray today you'd give us a heart to do that, the opportunities to, and the awareness, the presence of mind to make that change. For your glory, to your praise, to make you more famous in this place and around the world, we ask for that. In Jesus' name.